Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, I think without fail, I don't think I've managed to run an arc in this game yet that I haven't hired a Soulstone miner in. And I can already hear Jamie chuckling from wherever he's listening to this, <laughs> knowing that I've had to admit that. <laughs> in this episode, we get Matt Lewin fresh off his win at the Scottish GT, and he talks us through how to use or get the most out of uh, Arcanist Hoffman. Um, I loved uh, really how much Matt loves the game, and it's pretty evident when you listen to this. Um, his passion is there. He does a great job of talking through how to handle a keyword that you've never played against before. Um, he also spends some time on how to handle Zerata, so I'm sure a lot of you will get value out of that. And last but not least, there's some really good insights for you guild players out there. So even though this is for Arcanists, um, Matt is comes from Guild um, and is really known for his uh, skills with Guild and uh, M2E. So hearing his perspective on Guild here in M3E, um, I think is real interesting. Enjoy. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Arcanist Master Charles Hoffman and how his augmented crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. My guest today is Matt Lewin. He recently won the Scottish GT, beating out a large and very competitive field. Now he's a founding member of the Flippin' Weirds. When you've had, uh, we've had another one of the Flippin' Weirds on here a few times in the form of Jamie Varney. And Matt is probably best known as one of the top guild players in the UK, holding top in fashion for several years straight. He recently made a terrible decision to start playing Arcanists, and he took them to his big victory at the Scottish GT. Today, he's going to let me pick his brain on the most recent member of the Arcanist squad, Charles Hoffman. So, Matt, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, those of us that uh, have been following the UK scene, even all the way over here in the States, um, you're not a new name to us, uh, though you're new to the show. But I think the people always like to know, you know, how you ended up playing Malifaux. Uh, well, it's um, I think just like anyone else, I enjoyed tabletop games, play tabletop games for a, a large part of my childhood. And actually, after spending a long time with GW based games, I um, found Malifaux with my uh, fellow flipping weird founders and Joel, we fell in love. It's it's just, it was one of the most well-balanced games to play. And I've never played a game on a competitive level before Malifaux. And do you know what? I'm never going back because it's just, the, the weird have made a great game and third edition is just testament to that as well. 
Yeah, I, I agree, Matt. It, um, I'm the same boat as you. Where uh, you know went played GW games, um, did a small stint playing Guild Wall, and then found Malifaux. And I just I've tried other games since, and I just keep coming back. Um, even through the the desert uh, between two and three, I couldn't uh, couldn't stop uh, playing the game. Um, it, it's it's hard to find another game that uh, you enjoy as much as you uh, as this. Plus, um, I'm also like you in that uh, this was the first time I've ever played competitively. Even you know playing more games for 15 some odd years, this is the only game that I think had enough balance and player agency to make competitive play interesting. Absolutely, and I think actually the things I like about it on a competitive level where you could bring a variety of lists to different games. You weren't just turning up playing the same thing every game. And it, it was fantastic. And I just, yeah, I, I'm really, really looking forward to third edition. I mean, I like we thought the little break between second and third would slow us down, but we just dove straight in on playtest and actually never looked back. Yeah, that makes me very, very happy. All right, so let's talk a little bit uh, first off about your big win. Um, can you kind of give us an idea? First of all, why why Arcanist, man? Why why would you leave the guild? Um, I was... It's, it's more of a case of actually, oh, I haven't left the guild. I have every okay. intention of coming back. Um, but the masters I want to play aren't quite out yet. So I thought instead of making that a negative, take this as an opportunity to uh, dust off some of the Arcanist models that I've had for two, three years and never played with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I was just like, you know what? I, I love events, I love tournaments. And just because my models aren't out, I'm just going to still enjoy third edition. So I, I actually turned up to the Scottish GT with... Um, and we're sitting there on Friday night talking to some of the other players. And it was just like, you know what? I'm actually just here to see how I do with Arcanists, see how it plays out. And uh, yeah, did quite well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the, the big takeaway for everybody is all of the complaining I do about Arcanists. We're talking to a guy who's never even looked at a card before and wins the Scottish GT. So that's that. Now everybody knows how uh, how I feel about the Arcanists. But and, and in all seriousness, Matt, that's a, that's quite an accomplishment. Um, can you give us just a quick breakdown on, uh, obviously we're not going to get it up round by round, but I'd love to know what masters you brought. Uh, so um, majoritively, so my majority of master over the weekend was Colette because she's fantastic. And yeah. uh, I think she's going to be a real powerhouse on the scene. Her, as much as she's great at maneuvering in this and that, her denial game is so strong, so strong. And that's really great on those top tier tables. Um, Keris, She's fantastic in that maneuverability, the versatility in her crew, and just the sheer raw power that is Keris. I played, uh, so I played three games with Colette, two games with Keris, and then my last game was with Hoffman. And that was the match that won me the day. So here I am. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. All right, man. So what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to really kind of dig in and kind of get an understanding of um, really what Hoffman does, um, how you kind of approach Hoffman, and then more importantly, how do you approach building the augmented crew? So uh, let's assume that some of the listeners have never played Hoffman or especially have never played Hoffman into um, the Arcanist faction. Can you give us kind of an idea here in Malifaux third edition, how Hoffman plays and what type of master he is? Um, I would say he's very much, um, he's a, he's a support master. I'd say like completely. I mean, he's, he's all about making the models around him better um, handing out the resources to make them better and facilitating that happening. So, um, and whilst he's also doing that, he, he brings a healing, he brings condition removal. It, he, he very much runs himself as a support piece that is just going to enhance the crew around him, which I think is really thematic with his keyword. He's literally augmenting the crew around him. 
Yeah, definitely. What about his uh, kind of his core mechanic, Matt? What, what, what's his kind of signature abilities? So his signature ability is definitely his power tokens. Um, so as say, his power tokens are very much what make his augmented crew really, really work. Uh, they they can be used on certain models for. Um, you can use it for positive flips to jewels, and you can use them to spend for suits. It's effectively handing out free soul stones to models that can never use soul stones, really. Yeah. And there's just so much power and potential that comes in that being able to just always try and find that trigger we wanted, always have that positive flip, especially if you're going into models with serene countenance. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's a really strong mechanic, and he hands it out really nicely as well. It runs really smoothly. I think we're seeing a lot of that string continence, especially uh, for Masters um, defensively. You know, of course, Molly has it. I think Colette has it as well, doesn't she? She does indeed. Lucius has got uh, it as well. Dreamer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, just the thought of you being able to hand out positives like it's candy is scary to me. How, mechanically, how does that happen, though? So how does Hoffman get power tokens out uh, to his crew? So he, him himself, when he activates, he's gotten um, – all friendly constructs within six inches of him in aura six just gain a power token and that includes himself obviously that's um, a huge aura that is a huge aura and actually it just gives you a it means he's playing in his bubble still and we all know that Hoffball is the uh, the old keyword that he used to be uh, but he still plays yep. in that bubble but it's it's slightly wider and he's got a little bit of flex now in it from where he went in second edition which I think has really kind of brought him up the tables for me um, and Along with his aura when he just activates, uh, he has a tactical action, uh, which is called overcharge. And when he over, so overcharges, friendly construct only, on a cast six, he needs a six to go off, no suits. Target will gain fast, gains a power token, and enemy models within two inches of this must pass a target on a 15 move duel or suffer one damage again, injured one. How efficient Very is that? Nice. <sighs> yeah, that's nice. So that, in that case, you're not just getting positive flips, but you're also getting, oh, God, that's gross. That's And what's the range on that again? Six inches? Six inches on that. Very nice. So just right off the top then, um, you know, how often on average in an activation are you uh, firing off that tactical action? Uh, I'll be honest with you, it's, it's probably my go-to piece uh, with him. Yeah. Um, he, like I said, he, he's there to support and make sure the crew around him stays stays alive so it's not unheard of for me for turn one overcharge three models so they're laid up ready for fast going into turn two yeah i could definitely see that now um you know one of the challenges because i played hoffman in two and, and with guild and one of the challenges that was that, that could could happen there uh, right before we got uh he got a little bit of a bump with the upgrades was moving him around um how often are you walking with hoffman or does or when we get into the crew are we going to see ways for him uh to avoid having to walk uh, I think he still has that that thematic negative part where he is a little bit slow, so he's only moved yeah. four still. Um, and there's not an awful lot of ways to move him around, but he does have a bonus action, and on his bonus action, along has a trigger which will let him push four inches. So the bonus action lets him move power tokens around. You can remove it from a model that has more and then move it to a model that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you're also removing conditions when you do it. And, nice. one of the built, and it has a built-in mask that lets him push four inches towards the target. So he's got a little bit of movement to kind of keep pace, but he's he's definitely not going to run the length of the board for you and score schemes like certain masters. <laughs> sure, sure. So uh, now I've heard he does have a little bit of offensive ability too, though, um, that he can put out some damage. He can. Um, I mean, 
It's it's a solid damage player. It's, he's got enhanced fists, which is a melee one, which is pretty standard for third edition. He's a stat six with a built-in tomes, and it's a two four six damage spread. So actually, that's yeah, that's, cool. that's fairly solid. I mean, if you're hitting a low defense model, it's entirely possible he's hitting out a mod. So actually, if he wanted to, he could just start knocking out some of those minions that might get a little close to him, try and hold him up. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, he's going to give himself power tokens with a built-in trigger on the tomes, and. If he just needs to get him out of the way, he has a mask trigger, which uh, pushes the targets four inches out in any direction. So he's quite he's quite defended in that regard. So uh, so that's interesting. So he, he can also gain those power tokens via that trigger, and, and I assume he can use them just as like like anybody else can. Yeah, so he can use them for pause flips, and he can also use them for suits, which oh, is that's uh, nice. Which is very good because actually it means he's he's never fishing for suits on for targets for triggers, right. Now, with that push away, Matt, um, is there anything else defensively he has um, that's keeping him on the table? So he's armor two, which can't be can't be ignored. <laughs> so effectively, yeah. obviously, he can be ignored. But uh, armor two, reducing all damage by two, is going to keep him alive. He's ten wounds. Uh, he's only defense four, but I think he's always been defense four. Um, yeah. I think the real the real protection is he comes with protected construct, and that's after this model is targeted by an enemy attack action, it may discard a card to change the attack to a friendly construct with two inches, ignoring range, line of sight, and targeting restrictions. So that's definitely going to keep him alive. Yeah, and I think for everybody listening, learning how that protected works and how to deal with protected is a smart move because you're going to see a lot of it. Um, we're seeing a lot of masters out there that have that protected um, as, as kind of a key way to keep them alive. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a hard counter to some of the uh, more combat masters we're seeing coming up the tables as well. So, um, it's great against Shen Long. So, yeah, I think it's one of the only real defenses currently. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, um, I was just uh, having a conversation with somebody, I think it was in the Rezzer chat, and uh, we were talking about, uh, 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 prematurely talking about faction tiers, and because uh, it's way too early to start talking about how, how these factions tier against each other. But um, the uh, inevitably, it drifted to Shen Long, who I've actually not had a chance to play uh, or see on the other side of the table. Uh, but having read through his cards and hearing some of the nightmare stories, um, it's not something I think I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I think I think once you start getting those really practiced players in in tournament, I, I think he's gonna it's gonna make some waves. But equally, on the same sense, like you said, it's too early to call these things. I think yeah, every time a big stone hits the pond like that, it does make waves. But then equally, there's counters that come out and people have a little think about it and actually. It just balances out from that that initial knee-jerk reaction of, oh my God, what is this model going to do to me? <laughs> yeah, the first time you go up against any any keyword now, um, it's a bit of a, an ice bath. Um, and you kind of walk away going, All right, what, the, what the hell just happened? Um, that that's how it was for me with Zareda. Um, the first time I encountered Zareda, I'm like, oh, like I can't like everything everybody's saying is true. This this is ridiculous. But the second time I went up against her, I played it very differently, you know, with knowledge in my pocket. And uh, I'm anxious to see if uh, that continues because everything that I've encountered the first time has seemed overwhelming. But the second time I've seen it, um, it, it I, I get a better understanding of, of how to react to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a it's a brand new game at the end of the day. We've, we've just got to understand that it's brand new things. You're going to get hit by those gotcha moments. I've, I've had the same experience with Zerada. I, I played a game against Zerada against George. And that first game, I was like, this is bonkers. What do you do? Yep. And then actually went back into it into a, another game. 
it, like you said, equipped with some knowledge and it wasn't anywhere near as bad. And actually, when I played George at the Scottish GT, I ran Colette into Zareda and George was like, he has no idea how to win that game because <laughs> just, just because I was armed with a bit of knowledge. Zareda was still doing what she was doing, but I'd had a little yep. thought about what I could do to get around it. So... Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you learn a couple things, um, or at least I did. Um, one, you're a lot smarter about positioning because, you know, you have to think about threat vectors from your own models, let alone, you know, from the enemy's models in case, you know, she comes in there and just keeping track of her threat range um, and remembering she only has three actions. Um, and uh, like the success I had is that even though he didn't end up surviving, um, I was playing Molly and, and I just put Archie in her face and that what that ended up doing is, you know, reducing her to maybe one or two obeys tops per activation because she had to deal with him. Um, and it ate up some resources. Um, uh, so it's just, just a good example of, you know, the second time you encounter something, you get a kind of a, a better feel for it. Definitely. And I think I had a similar sort of effect. So I actually, uh, um, went out of my way during the game to George to make sure that my models were covered in concealment, which just meant she, her AP efficiency just fell through four. So cause yep. she, if she was going to try and obey my model, she'd have to focus to do it or spend a stone. And that's, that's costing him resources. It's costing him AP. And I just gave him no good options. So I split her wide out into the corners and she struggles to go wide. Um, yep. So, and it was really, and it worked really well. And also the other thing with Zerada is she will ditch your cards. So just don't be scared to use your cards and actually make the Zerada player think, uh, as much as I want cards, is it worth giving my opponent back to full hand? <laughs> no question. In fact, it's funny you say that. The second time I played her, I did the exact same thing. And I think I was more helped by the Zerada player ditching the hand than, than he was because, you know, especially with Molly, I'm, getting rid of cards left and right. So if you want to go ahead and do Zerada when I have one card in my hand, uh, I'm a huge fan. I'll take I'll take a fresh hand. Thank you very much. Definitely. Definitely a great play against Zerada is just do not be scared to use your hand before Zerada's gone. <laughs> yep. Um, so in episode two, the anti-Zerada podcast, we're going to also <laughs> talk, about, talk about Hoffman. Um, so what we're going to do, Matt, let's take a quick break. And when we get back from this break, I want to really kind of get into the crew a little bit more, get an understanding of uh, what you consider to be a, uh, kind of the core crew and uh, how you adjust that core crew depending on what you're facing. So we'll be right back. So now that we have kind of a sense of uh, really what Hoffman can do um, and how he's supporting the augmented crew. I th we, we need to start talking about that crew itself. Um, you know, for most players, I think when they get into this keyword system and the keyword hiring, they're finding that there's, you know, at least one, if not two to three models that they just end up bringing into their crew every time, regardless of what the scheme pool is, regardless of what the opponent is. So Matt, let's talk a little bit about that. What are, what are your core crew models? Um, to be fair, I do have some some favourite picks, but like Hoffman has a variety of models that actually he can bring into different situations. So I think he's actually potentially got one of the most well-rounded keywords with everything he can do. And I'm talking across both factions as well at that point. But um, for me, uh, some some definite definite staples to my uh, Hoffman card are Joss and Howard Langston. They're 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 in my crew without fail because they're just yeah. so versatile and what they bring is just you have to deal with it 
So let's talk, let's talk first. Um, let's talk about Josh. Um, kind of, I'm familiar with him in two, but I've not seen him yet in three. So what is, what is Josh doing in Malifaux third edition? Um, so he's not a far, he's not a far throw from where he was in second edition, to be fair. Um, he's, um, defense five, willpower six, move five. Yeah. It's a fairly great model. He's 10 stones, but he's still a henchman. Um, but what he is bringing is armor one, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. it, to go with like soul stones, it, it just keeps him alive really well. He's ruthless, which to be That's honest nice. with you, the new terrifying rules. I, I can't, I can't stress enough how how powerful ruthless is and his ability. Well, yeah, I mean, models that have terrifying usually have low wound count um, or lower wound count. So if you can get through that terrifying, same thing with armor, right? If you can get through that armor, if you can get through that terrifying, it's not hard uh, to, to bring the models down. Um, so I agree, ruthless and manipulative seems to be in a lot of places too. Definitely, and again, it's, it's just it's it's one of those things that Hoffman's crew can now just tick off. It's like actually, I've got a ruthless model, so I can deal with manipulative. I can deal with terrifying models, and again, he, he brings that to the crew. So it's already like one feather in his cap. Um, he's also every time he, uh, an enemy model is killed by this model, he drops a scrap marker in addition to any other marker. Now. Nice. It's another way of this crew generating power tokens is if they have power converter at the start of the model's activation on the models in his keyword, they can discard a scrap marker to get a power token. It's it's basically transferring scrap into positives or or, uh, suits. It's brilliant. And that's done by not by Hoffman, but by models within the crew itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nice. Looking around cards right now, he's there's he's basically on ninety percent of his crew and models. Now, is he? Do you use him more of a uh, kind of a a tar pit, or is he putting out damage? Is he doing both? Um, do you know what? He's both, but he's definitely damage for me. Um, so unlike the rest of Hoffman's crew, Joss can't use power tokens for positives or uh, suits. But what Joss does do with his power tokens is on his arc axe. He may discard a power token as an italic. So before he attacks with it, he can just discard a power token. And if he does so, that makes his arc axe irreducible damage. Which oh, is, no. Yeah, it is, is massive. And I, I can totally see it, it's like irreducible damage is such a powerful thing. Can't stone yeah. it, can't do anything. It's so powerful. Yeah, with shielded and all of the other different um, reducible um, mechanisms out there. Um, I'm finding irreducible damage. Even if, even if you're a min two, it's a big deal. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, any reducible damage, even if it's that actually you've managed to get their master or their henchman down to the last few wounds and you've got something that's going to do two irreducible damage, it's guaranteed to kill that model at that point. Yeah, that's a big deal. Now, uh, obviously, I would assume Howard is a beater. Um, so uh, other than putting out the damage, what, what else does Howard bring to the table? Um. So he he definitely fills that beta role, um, and I think that's that's his real main purpose. He's he's a scary piece because of it. Um, so he's also got vent steam as a tactical action. So if you needed that extra bit of cover and concealment, vent steam lets you put up an aura of three uh, models within the range. Within range have concealment. Non-construct enemy models also treat this area as hazardous terrain. And I mean, an nice. awesome crew of constructs. That's amazing. Yeah, and that concealment is a big deal. I mean, you talked about it a little bit already when we talked about Zareda. Um, and, uh, you know, in Mali, I've got the uh, the bats there that, that put out concealment. And um, 
it, uh, it it's an AP sink. Um, it either deters them from attacking at all, um, or even if they do, their efficiency goes way down. That's it. And like that AP efficiency is is really key when you start playing in those games where it's actually back and forth, you're scoring those points, oh my opponent score those points. It gives you that advantage if you can like really hammer their AP. It's why slow is really good and all those kind of yep. effects. Um Hoffman or uh, not Hoffman, sorry, Howard Langston even brings um hit on his execution clause. So he ignores resistance triggers. It's just That's good. That is good. And, and again, it's it's another part of Hoffman's crew. So already we've got irreducible damage. We've got something that's going to ignore Terrify. We've now got something that's going to ignore defensive triggers, um, hand out some concealment. And he's quick as well um, because he's unimpeded. Yeah. So he's only moved five, but he's unimpeded. So it really gets around some terrain. So for me, they're just solid choices. Both 10 stones, but 10 stones worth invested each, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, if they're, I mean, yeah, it's a little, sometimes a little tough to spend, you know, 20 stones out of the gate on two models. But if they're, if they've got clear roles and they're very good at it, then it's, it's a no brainer. Um, you know, I, I bring Rogue Necromancy and, um, Archie into every Molly list because they're both so good, uh, even though they're not cheap. Um, uh, now the other thing, Howard still has his execute trigger. Um, he certainly does. <laughs> that, I'll tell you, man, it's so funny. Like there's, there's sometimes when that thing is meaningless because you have a nice hand of cards, but boy, when it matters, that execute trigger is just the worst. I, I think even even if your opponent's got a massive hand of cards, actually, this this played a massive part in the last game I played at the Scottish GT against Doxy. Um, I, I'd stacked power tokens onto Howard Langston. Howard Langston does have the ability to use the power tokens for suits. So yep. I made, he, he had enough power tokens that every single swing he took, he was declaring an execute trigger. So I was stripping cards and stones. And after you do that for the first turn, you're only going to really kind of strip out some resources. If he goes late, he's going to strip out potentially some stones if they've used their cards or the, or the card they're going to try and save. But yep. if you get into turn two and three where you've already dwindled their resources, this, this turns into actually every model hit, um, how it hits could potentially just be a kill because of the execute yeah. trigger and and because of the power tokens and the strength of that is bonkers because it's auto it's auto execute effectively. Yeah, that's insane. And what what's his melee value for for his close attack? So he's he's only melee six now, so he was melee seven. But I think yeah. sure it makes makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, so he's melee six, but it is a two inch range. So oh, that's nice. Three, four, five damage spread as well. So he's definitely filling that beta roll really nicely. And again, you can't ignore him. If you ignore him, you'll regret it. So, yeah, he can, he can. I've, I've faced him twice uh, so far here in three. And um, the one thing that I think we need to spell out for people that may not be familiar with him, he's on a 50 mil base. So we're talking about uh, a huge impact for that vent steam um, because of that. And with that two inch range, um, and his ability to to you know scuttle around, um, he can influence a large section of a three by three table. Definitely, and like the he's easy to go down. He's defense four, so he's not he's got that that balance factor of he hits hard, but he doesn't take it as well. But he's mm-hmm. number one and terrifying, so he's got a little bit of defensive tech, so he doesn't fall down too easy. Yeah, yeah, I mean. It um, thank God <laughs> he can be taken down because um, he definitely becomes a a, a, a fast priority uh, target priority for anybody that plays against him because you, you that's a model you can't let get five activations. Definitely, um, to be fair, he's such a target. I have I have 
effectively been taking Soulstone cash on him as an upgrade. Nice. To, to just because if you can keep him alive, uh, the tar pit that that generates, he, he's such a such a creature. And the Soulstone cash will let him use Soulstones. And models that die around enemy, uh, any model that is killed around him, and he's definitely doing some killing. I'm generating mm-hmm. Soulstones. It, it just for me, that's a solid investment. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good call. I, I um not as familiar with the upgrades uh, that uh, Dirty Arcanist used, but that makes a ton of sense on him. Ton of sense. If he kills two models, he's made his money back already on that. Yep, yep. It um now after you so you've got another thirty stones or twenty eight stones. Um, what, what what is typically your next your next move? Um, who do you look to now? Um, so uh, there's there's a couple of choices for me in this one. It really does depend on the the game we're playing as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but some standout models for me are the Wardens coming out of the, the guild section of what you can hire because um, they're solid minions. They're, they're armor two, they're five stones, they're move five, they're ruthless again. So actually, if you wow. know you're going into a terrifying crew like Jack Dawes crew or something like that, they have a massive impact uh, for five stones. Um, and they also have power converter so they can use uh power tokens for suits and poses. Um, but because they're also part of what Dashel does, they have pursuit. So they get plus one to their stat if a model's already activated. It's just nice. it's just a solid five stone model and they're rare too. So Yeah, and and I don't know whether you're finding this or not, Matt, but I'm finding the five to six stone slot on a lot of keywords tends to be a very interesting slot. Um, and it you can really get I, I'm having an easier time getting more value for the cost in that slot that I am for like eight or nine stones. Uh, I would definitely agree. So uh, I think there are some really, really efficient five and six stone minions out there and actually are really good to the point that they might be so good that you just wouldn't take an eight stone model over them. Um, So yeah, yeah. I mean, even in Hoffman's crew, he's got, I got a pick like that. So when you've got a warden like that and you have a hunter that's eight stones, now a hunter is quicker um, and can move around and has assassin and it's armor two and it, it has all the things that Hoffman's crew's already been doing. What we talked about, and yeah. but yeah, it, it, is it bringing more than more than a warden? I mean, it's melee six, but the warden could be melee six. It's got a little bit of range. Yeah, so I can understand where it's a toss up, but actually, I think I think there's a place for a hunter. You just got to play it in the right game and know what your schemes are. But that's that's a massive part of third edition, I think. I agree. I agree. And it, um, it, I think it makes, even within keyword, it makes the building even more interesting because, you know, outside of the situation, you could look at the warden, you could look at that hunter and say, is the hunter really 60% better um, than the warden? Um, but in the right situation, I would imagine a hunter could be. Um, so with the wardens, then, are you running schemes with them? Are you doing, what role do they t- tend to play? I think they're actually quite versatile in, in what they can do. They can they can lend themselves to just put in a little bit more damage because they're they're two three four. They can get puncture, which gives them a positive damage strip as a trigger on the rams. They got knock aside again, like Hoffman does, so they can push models out of the way. That adds an element of control. Yeah. Um, but they also have transfer power as a bonus action. Now transfer power is a ability that quite a few of Hoffman's crew has as a bonus action, which lets them discard a power token on themselves and a friendly construct, a friendly construct only target gains a power token and push two inches because this is a tactical action. They can do it on themselves. So if they have, a power Oh, token, right. <laughs> so if they have a power token, they effectively get a free two inch push, 
which means yeah. I can just actually two inches out of combat and then I'm going to walk away and then I'm going to drop a ski marker. <laughs> or even if it's uh, push two inches out, drop a ski marker, charge back in, kill it for dig their graves maybe. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because, um, you know, you, you've got some nice flexibility there too, though, don't you? So, you know, if you're, you know, halfway through your activations and realize that, you know, this power token would be much better on Howard, um, it, uh, it gives you that flexibility to transfer that, um, over. So that's nice. And those knock, knock aside triggers, um, the more I'm playing, the more I'm finding that those little pushes are key because, so many of the schemes, the strategies, really, it matters where your model is. Um, so, you know, you have outflank and dig your graves and positioning is a big part of scoring. And just being able to move an opponent three or four inches can be the difference between scoring and not scoring. Definitely. With the with the changes to melee ranges that come into third edition, where everything's a little bit shorter, uh, a two-inch push is so powerful now because most models are an average of one-inch melee. And you, you're, going, you're going to be able to get something clear in Hoffman's career, and everything's got that ability. And actually, if you think back in, if I think back to some of the games I played in, like the back end of M2E, where it's actually if I thought just a two inch push, just to move something out of the way to let it free it up to do something, I think it's going to be just as powerful in the third edition, if not more. Yeah, no, I agree. So, uh, what, what else should we keep our eyes on um, as we're building an augmented crew? Um, uh, you, you can't, you can't fault a four stone watcher, if I'm honest. Um, they are defense five, willpower four, but they're move seven. Now that is definitely Hoffman's dedicated scheme runner, I'd say. Are they fly as well? They, they are indeed. They're armor one flight. And That's then, good. Flight, flight, flight seven is huge. Yeah, flight seven is huge. And they also have tra- power transfer as well as a bonus action. So they've got a cheeky little two inches if they want to get out of combat. It um, The biggest restriction on them, though, is finding the model. <laughs> Yeah, so they've got some new artworks, so, and Hoffman's crew hasn't been announced yet, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see see a new box with some more watchers in it. And actually, from the looks of the artwork on those watchers, you've got some really nice models coming, as well as new yeah. artworks as well. Yeah, that was... Because, um, I mean, uh, as a guild player in two, uh, watchers were good in two um, in, with anybody, not just with Hoffman. But... Uh, you know, uh, it was tough to get them because you only got the one model uh, in the crew box and there was really no other way to get it. So there was, uh, I saw a lot of proxying and a lot of people buying old metal ones and things like that. So no, I agree. I mean, we've seen new artwork for Hoffman um, and uh, I, I have no doubt um, that we'll get new sculpts. Um, and if they threw two or three of those watchers into that um, core box, I don't think that'd be a bad move. No, neither do I. And like, I think I played Guild for many years, many, many years now. Well, I say many years, a couple of years now. And I think I've only managed to ever beg, borrow, and steal to an additional watcher. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, that's very, very true. Um, so, any other key pieces that we need to keep our eyes on that you're hiring a lot? I mean, let's just out of curiosity, let's go back to the hunters. Um, when do you find yourself hiring a hunter? What role do you see them filling for eight stones? I think. If you're hiring a hunter, uh, I think I will hire hunters more the more I learn about other crews. So yeah. I think I think they are very much true to their name. I think if I need a model that's going to go take out a fast scheme runner, it's going to really kind of disrupt one of my wings. Um, uh, as much as Hoffman's crew plays quite tight, they don't necessarily go too wide. And actually, I think hunters give you that ability to go wide because they've got deadly pursuit which means in the end phase, they're going to push four inches. That's just some more movement in their direction. And that gives them that real, real chance to go hunt down, say, a, 
uh, Kruligan on the wings or a Necropunk yeah. or something like that. Can you tell I play a lot of reses? <laughs> <laughs> so now out of curiosity, is, um, is the Peacekeeper augmented? Peacekeeper is augmented. Um, okay. So I, I think the Peacekeeper is a solid take. Um, again, he, he's he's armor two. He's he's probably more durable than um, Howard Langston is. I would say because he's armor two and he's got hard to wound. Um, and I think he's probably guaranteed to kick out more more attacks every turn because he's got flurry. So if you if you know that you want a piece that's just going to step up and like put it into high gear, slam in, and just kill models, I, I think you could take the peacekeeper. Um, I I do favour Howard because I like the kind of control and resource deplenishment that he gives. But actually, yep. let's let's not take it away from the peacekeeper. He's a three four six damage spread. He has the option on crit strike, and he can use power tokens, um, just like everyone else, so he can get those rams. Pushing him yeah. up to a four, five, seven. Shoo, that's good. Now, w- would you see? You, you said, Matt. You know, you you prefer How- Howard, but is there a time where you would think a peacekeeper could replace Joss, or is Joss just unique enough that uh, you don't see them as uh, swappable? Uh, I think actually they they do something very similar in the sense of what they do. So Joss, because of the irreducible damage, is is just a killer, um, and yeah. the peacekeeper has armor piercing, which is a great way to get around armor. Um, I think the Peacekeeper brings a slightly better ranged assault because Joss does have a ranged assault, but it does require him to expend power tokens to do it. And actually, I'm not sure if you want to be using those power tokens that way because irreducible damage is so powerful. But yeah. um, the, the Peacekeeper, I, I think you could definitely swap Peacekeeper in and out for Howard Langston um, with uh, with everything he brings if you just want that killer, if you, especially if you know you're going up against heavy armored crews because yep. he, he has a tomes trigger, which lets him ignore armor. Um, and yeah, he, he's also got trail gore, which Howard and him share as well in the same sense, which is remove a corpse marker, uh, no, remove a scheme marker, apologies, to take a walk or another melee attack, which means actually your peacekeeper could end up having four melee attacks in one turn. Five, <laughs> if you make him fast with Hoffman. <laughs> Yeah, right. That's the other thing we got to keep in mind here as we're listening to this, guys, is that all these models that we're talking about, you know, are probably going to have some power tokens on them, and some of them are going to be fast. Um, which, you know, if you if you weren't already scared, um, this this should scare you. Um, uh, the, the other one I wanted to make sure I, we talked about, it, um, and I consider it one of the ugliest sculpts uh, in all of Malifaux, and that's the Guardian. Um, do you ever see yourself bringing the Guardians in? Um, I think. They're, they're a solid choice to protect Hoffman. I haven't actually used them yet because I haven't found a space where actually I feel they're going to be needed. Um, but yeah. again, in the same way as I've taken Soulstone Cash to keep certain model, uh, keep Howard alive, you could run a Guardian behind Joss or Howard and because they have take the hit, which means after an enemy model tar- is targeted by a friendly model, uh, after an enemy model targets a friendly model within two inches of an attack action, this model may discard a card to place itself in base contact with it, and a friendly model becomes the new target of the action. So it's, yeah, it, he could take the hit and his armor two, and actually it probably will keep some of your models alive if you do that. So there's, there's, a, there's a tactical element there. And I think, you again, as you play it more, as it becomes more apparent, the, the Guardian may come come up the field in with what you want what you want your crew to do 
Well, yeah, and I think I think what might influence that is the master that's declared by your opponent, right? So if you're you're going up against maybe a Lady J or a, a the Vix or something like that, where you know that it's going to be close combat pain, um, then maybe the Guardian suddenly becomes worth it. And the one thing that I'm getting a sense of here, Matt, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, these key models we keep talking about aren't cheap models. Um, so I, I'm getting a sense that, it, you know, there's some some pretty tight decisions that need to happen as you're building that crew. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, you're effectively probably going to get, if you want a balanced crew, you're going to end up taking two, maybe three, if you're in reckoning of these kind of high cost models, because they have their place. Um, yep. And, but then you're really going to want to look at, actually, I need some support models. I need some models that are going to move around the edges. I need some models to deal with anything that goes wide. Because obviously, if you've got all these really, really big beaters, it's not, that's great. You're going to kill some models. But actually, you're never going to be able to chase models running down the edges for outflank, trying to do breakthrough. And all of a sudden, you're pulling yourself apart. So uh, I think there's, there's a, actually, I think, a trap to fall into with Hoffman is, you overinvest in these big models and you overinvest in actually, I want a peacekeeper for armor. I want a Pete, uh, Howard Langston. Actually, I want the guardian to take the hit, but a real mm-hmm. trap you could potentially fall into is uh, you've got all these key abilities, but what are you scoring? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're uh, you, that's, you've got, you got to score. Um, uh, no doubt about that. So let's, let's expand out a little bit more than Matt. Let's talk about uh, out of keyword and versatile. Um, is there any versatile model? Well, this is a dumb question. You're playing him as Arcanist. So let's talk about which versatile model you hire. Um, I think without fail, I don't think I've managed to run an Arcanist game yet that I haven't hired a Soulstone miner in. And I can already hear Jamie chuckling from wherever he's listening to this, <laughs> knowing that I've had to admit that. <laughs> um, is there any? Is there anything? I mean, I think at this point, almost everybody should be familiar with them. Um, you know, quick overview: they um, they bury and pop up wherever they need to. They generate soul stones. Um, they're a pain in the butt to get off the board because of their armor too. Um, if you can't hear the hate in my voice, um, then you haven't been listening to the podcast, but in relation to having them in a Hoffman crew, is there anything unique about running them with Hoffman versus some, uh, you know, running them with say Colette? Yeah. I mean, they're constructs for starters. So they're going to reap all the benefits that Howard can hand out to constructs. I mean, the, the other unique thing of a Soulstone miner in a Hoffman crew is because of the way they interact, actually he can, make it fast and then that that soulstone miner could move walk three times and then place a scheme marker or walk nice. three times and drop a bomb um, for plant explosives uh, it, yeah. it, because they use it as a bonus action so that's quite unique in that and actually i, I could just see that they're, they're they're comfortably over the halfway line and they're dropping bombs turn one if you wanted them to um yeah, I think I think again with the soulstone miner. As the more I play them, there's actually a call that if you don't need to bury them, they are just as good to walk around the table, if not better, to double walk and place a scheme. I mean, if they start on eight inches on a standard deployment, they double walk and they can drop a scheme marker turn one. For the for starting to set up, say harness the ley lines if you wanted. Yeah, no question, and and they can survive, right? Because I mean. The first time I went up against them, I'm like, these things must be pretty easy to rip off because they're hard to get your hands around. But once you get you start laying into one, you realize that they soak up a ton of actions to get off the table. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're five wounds, armor two. And I'll be honest with you, I run mine with magical training because I like seven cards in my hand to play. Yeah. And that also gives them arcane shield. So the start of every turn. So they effectively will soak the first three points of any damage in a turn before yeah. they start suffering it. And on a model that's out on the wings, if my opponent has decided to commit to charging down my Soulstone Monitor that's probably out of the way with their, their heavy hit and beater, <laughs> I've probably got I've probably got them a little bit on tilt at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been I've been that guy. So yeah. <laughs> yes, you have us on tilt. I, I hope you're happy. <laughs> um, all right, let's. Well, I, I could talk all day about Soulso Minor, but is there any other uh, versatile pieces or out of keywords that you've been bringing in? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Arcanists are really, really fortunate that actually, I think most of their versatile models are all constructs. So I've played around with Mechorachnids. And they're a solid model. Armor two, yeah. defense five, five wounds again. They're also unimpeded, but they all their melee attack actions ignore armor, hard to wound, hard to kill, shielded because they have precise. And also they drop salvage, they drop scrap every time they kill something. I mean, without even touching the back of the card, that synergizes beautifully with Hoffman. No question, no question. You know, I didn't realize that that uh, that you know, looking at, and I'm looking at them now that. Uh, the versatile the versatile pool for Arcanist is really screams Hoffman. It really does, and actually, it just makes his it effectively makes his hiring pool so wide because as much as other crews can hire these versatile models, and actually they'll work because they're versatile models, he hires these versatile models and then makes them even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we're back to what we already talked about, uh, right, Matt? Which is you know you've only got fifty stones, so. This is it, and, and like I said, I think I think you could have a lot of fun with a reckoning crew, and you make that really elite crew, and you're not giving away too many points because obviously you've got high stock cost minions. But yeah, you do have a limited pool, <laughs> and yeah. after you've uh, after you've got your your probably two key pieces in there, you really do have to look at going do I take a warden, or am I going to want to try and scoop past really fast wide with watches, um, or do I need like a utility piece, like a riot breaker bing brings, uh, especially if you're going to play against a raider. Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's a good call out. Those riot breakers are a definite, I would think, auto pick if the if you know your master going up against a raider. Yeah, or any obey master, anyone that's going to yep. um, make their models. It's a great call against Lucius as well because he's going to oh yeah stop, stop him commanding his own models around. So, you know, I never thought about that. Yeah, because that would affect uh, the ability to not only obey your model, but the other models. That's a, I don't know why I didn't even think about that, but that's that makes them even better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, crowd control is any models within six inches cannot take an, an action unless it's it, their action, activation. Yeah. It's great at stopping the obeys on, say, Serrata or the commands on Lucius, but they're also unyielding as well. So... Zerada couldn't can't just obey it to go away. <laughs> it's going to sit there and it's going to be a pain. <laughs> well, and another common trigger that we're seeing out there too is that coordinated strike trigger. Um, you're seeing that sprinkled around a couple different keywords, which you know al- allows uh, you know you, you make an attack with one model and they declare that trigger, and another model can then take an attack um, as 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 a result of that. So that they stop that as well. So that's good. Yeah, really, really strong. And again, it's back to that. How I haven't used right breakers a lot, but I think again, you come up against you know, someone declares a master right now, and I'm like, actually, we're still early doors. I don't really know what it does. I'm going to make a kind of really well-rounded crew, um, mm-hmm. just to kind of counteract certain things. 
but actually, before I, as it, as the game goes on, as we play more games, as people learn new tricks, I think actually, like I said earlier, these picks are going to become even even more varied, and these lists are going to change. I think the great thing for people to take away playing, looking at playing third edition is, but well, you can't you can't see the meta right now. Uh, I don't I don't think you can see the meta. I can't see. I don't say you can see what's going to be on the top table because actually. I don't think anyone was really running Hoffman on the last round of a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I put him down. And even I was surprised that I put him down, to be honest. <laughs> well, out of curiosity, what, what caused you to, to pick? Was it the pool? Was it uh, the fact that I, and I can't remember what uh, Doxy declared. Um, and uh, so, other than, well, yeah. How did, how did Hoffman come out? Um, so I'd actually been playing around with him for a few practice games, playing against the other weirds. And I was just like, actually, I think Hoffman's got some legs. And actually, I think I haven't really seen anyone really out there running a lot of Hoffman, but um, might be because I haven't used my Twitter account in far too long. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I just didn't see a lot of it. And actually, I looked for his cards, and actually, it was a it was a nice, gentle change for me as a, a guild player coming to Arkness. It was a nice All right. <laughs> Um and yeah, actually, it, the scheme pool was, uh, it didn't involve me having to go too wide. So actually, that plays towards Hoffman. It, it's, it was reckoning. So they're really durable because they're all covered in armor. And Hoffman, yep. Hoffman himself has Welding Torch, which is heals friendly constructs um, two with a built-in trigger to heal them additional one and stop their armor forever being ignored for the rest of the turn. Which yeah, that's huge. <laughs> which yeah. it like and in fact in that game against Doxy he he had Vendetta on Howard Langston got him down to two wounds and Hoffman went jumped on him and healed him nine points and he was <laughs> he was just like no I'm going to fully heal it that's, that's what I'm doing with Howard uh, Hoffman this turn and it was back to fully healed and yeah and he had to restart and that's so it's so du- dur- durable in that sense yeah um, yeah but yeah, mate, so I just, I, I, I tried it out. I wanted to take something different. And actually I thought if I run Hoffman, maybe I might might get a little bit of a, oh, what does he do moment? And uh, mm-hmm. I think I was fortunate in that way. But it's actually, I know Doxy has been reading him. And when, when I put him down, he, he did say to me, oh, I've been reading some Hoffman. And I went, oh no, this hasn't paid off. <laughs> well, yeah, but, and Matt, I know you're going to agree with this. There, you can't just read cards and know what these models do in three. You could do that in two, but in three, I, I will argue until I'm blue in the face that, that you, you have to play them at least twice before you make a decision whether a model has a role or not a role. Um, because I find three to be a lot more intricate, a lot more synergistic, and there's a lot of situations that come up where something that read weak is actually really strong or something that read really strong really didn't come up a whole lot. Um, I, I think you have to get these models on the table. Uh, yeah, definitely. 100%. I mean, um, yeah, you, c- you can't read cards and know what the, how they're going to interact. You can't, and with other models, but and unless you've got one of those crazy brains that can remember and do everything like that, I just I just think there's such a wealth of information. There's so many different ways they can interact while the models on the table. I mean, 
me and the rest of the weirds, like a lot of the time we don't <laughs> on the country of popular belief, we don't sit around just playing a tournament game every time we play a game of Malifaux. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, we play, we play quite a bit of Malifaux. We, we love it, we, but we enjoy it for the game it is. And actually we, we try some different things. Every time we play a game, we're stress testing something. We're trying a new combination. We're seeing how this interacts and how it flies into other models. And like that, that's how you get a real grasp of the game is do not be scared to put something on the table and go, do you know what? This might not work. I probably will lose because actually maybe I haven't focused in the scheme areas, but do you know what I am going to do is I'm going to gain an insight into how yeah. this model works. I mean, I did it with, even with Howard Langston. Um, I played George and I, I threw Howard Langston forward into Ophelia and he died. And I went, well, yep. okay, but now I know how much, how much he can take before he can do it with unsupported. Massive. Yeah, and, and I know for some people this is going to be frustrating because I think they struggle to find a regular game. But, um, you know, you guys don't. Um, we in North Carolina have no trouble. We've got three different game nights here in the area every week uh, where people are playing Malifaux. So we're, we're very lucky in that sense. But I think that's really good advice, Matt. It's, um, it's advice that, uh, uh, you know, your, your brother Jamie has shared as well, which is, you know, g- get your reps in. You don't have to build... Um, the best tournament list for every casual game. Put in that off model that you just need to see what it does and and play it through. And um, you know, having listened to you guys on the podcast, I know you do this as part of your quote unquote stress test. You know, when it's done, you know, I'll try out a new crew or a new model um, in a casual game, and then afterwards, I say, I, I don't. Not only do I want to see what I thought of it, but it's one of the first questions I ask my opponent, which is, you know, hey. What did you think about this model? Did, how much did this model impact your decision-making? Because a lot of times it may not feel like the model did a whole lot for you until you realize how much it was impacting the decision-making of your opponent. Yeah, definitely. And and I think you've hit the nail on the head with that, getting your opponent's opinion on what happened. Because actually you'll be like, oh, I don't really feel this model did anything. But actually after the game, your opponent will be like, do you know what? That model was an absolute nightmare. I spent the entire <laughs> game making sure that he could not do anything it's just like right hang on a minute that's that's massive that point that's a controlling piece and like exactly yeah, i i 100 agree yeah yeah all right um so we've talked a little bit about upgrades um can we get a sense um or kind of recap you know which are the upgrades are you using and where are you putting them um i think it depends on the the scheme pool and the strategies of course but um uh, I'll, I'll be honest here i am not i'm haven't run a game yet that i don't have magical training because yeah. seven cards, uh, an extra card is just an extra thing you can guarantee to happen. Um, where you put it in the crew, uh, if it goes on a minion, uh, it's, it's fantastic because because you get the card, because that's the only way you get the card, in fact. But you're given that minion shielded and counted yeah. out. That's a level of durability to any model. <laughs> yeah, and I got to be honest with you, Matt. When I first started putting, you know, playing in the beta, um, you know, we didn't get, we, we, I, I had a hard time spending two stones on a minion. Like I, I would read the card and go, yeah, that sounds really good. But am I going to put, am I going to turn a five stone minion into a seven stones? And I, I was a late adopter, um, but that's not true anymore. I have no trouble using the upgrades um, now because they, they are worth the two stones. Definitely. And I think actually talking, harking back to what we were talking about earlier, that, that real, do I take a five, six stone model? It kind of really lends itself to actually, I'm going to take this five, six stone model and then I'm going to give it this two stone upgrade. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden it is that seven, it's in that seven and eight stone slot, which is potentially why the seven and eight stone slots a little bit harder to fill because actually you could take, 
a fairly solid minion and then hand it this upgrade and actually it's pretty it's a force to be reckoned with or it's a real utility piece and a real vital linchpin to a crew in certain situations so yeah uh, definitely definitely i was in the same camp with uh why am i spending two stones on an upgrade when but actually you get a lot for your money <laughs> with those yeah. yeah yeah you really do i think that um i know that um you know the arc play, arcanist players here are getting a lot of value out of them and it's pretty obvious why um you know, and we're a little bit spoiled in Rezzers too because we've got some good ones, especially when you put them on minions. Um, so I'm glad I broke that uh, mental barrier I had about them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and all all three of the Arcanist upgrades, um, uh, unfortunately, I have to say it, are very good, and I can see it. <laughs> um, as as a kill player at heart, I look at these upgrades and go, "Ah, oh, <laughs> I wish I had me some more of that." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it. Um, I think that there's. I think it's actually something that um, Rezzers and Arcanists have in common right now is that I think that our versatile models are really good in both factions, and I think our upgrades are really good in both factions. Um, but uh, it, I, I have heard complaints from local guild players that they're they're kind of envious on both counts. See now, um, there, there's a time and a place for the upgrades we have. Uh, I just think. As guild players, we get locked into this. Uh, we get pigeonholed into let's kill it and we'll kill it now because we kill things and that's what we do. We yep. kill things. Um, <laughs> but actually, there's a time and a place where we, they have the durability of what's the armor and some other things, and actually they can turn some of their shooting minions into quite quite versatile pieces. So uh, again, I think it's just it's a brand new game. All I'd say yep. to them is some advice. It's a brand new game. Take a step back. Think about how we're going to play it and how we're going to go forward with it. Um, yeah try it out try it out and uh, i tried out the other two upgrades on the arcanist ones in hoffman's crew and i put like i said earlier soulstone cash on howard but it's just sitting here i can think soulstone cash on peacekeeper would make him just as just as durable giving him that chance to use stones he's going to generate generate you more stones as well when he kills things yeah min four is a good is good right yeah min four (laughs) Make five if you've got a ram in your hand. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, actually, that uh, kind of leads us, Matt, into our first question. we got uh, we, uh, several questions from the audience. Um, the first one is coming from Alaska. So let's hear what Alaska has to ask. Greetings from Alaska. This is James. i got a question about Hoffman and his dual faction aspect now. Now that he has uh, access to uh, more constructs, and the ability to be fielded as a dual faction. Um, what's the significance of this? Um, are, are we going to see Hoffman uh, taking things outside his lane more and more? I'm curious because uh, I'm looking forward to playing him, but I uh, want to get caught up on someone that's already been deep diving into uh, his play aspects. Thanks. So, boy, I, I don't know if James could have uh, teed up a better question for you being a guild player. And then, you know, we're talking about Arcanist Hoffman. Um, can you kind of give us a sense of what him being dual faction means? Um, and I think the probably the first thing we need to figure out, Matt, is if you had your druthers, would you rather run him in guild or Arcanist? Um, I think, to be honest, he can do what he does in both factions. Like, he has access to his entire pool in both. Um, and as much as I like having seven cards, I like having the ability to recharge soul stones. These are just bonuses. 
and uh, that come from the upgrades. But everything I've talked about Hoffman doing in this, in this, um, I can see completely translating over into Guild because of the, because of the keywords that he hires into. I mean, Joss, Joss brings something that Guild don't have, and that's irreducible damage, and that's yep. massive. I mean, as a Guild player. Uh, I personally am packing Hoffman now in my uh, tournament kit to take to tournaments because if I know if I need to run into something and I go, actually, I need to be able to ignore armor, I need to be able to ignore shielded, cool. I'm putting Hoffman down, I'm popping Joss on the table, and uh, mm-hmm. I can fire in. I can still take Howard Langston because he's augmented. And yep. yeah, I, everything I've done now, everything I've spoke about here, you can do it in Guild. And actually, I think... It, people shouldn't get hung up on from the upgrades of what Arcanists can do with their upgrades because there are stuff that Guild can do with their upgrades that you can you can delve into for hours, I'm pretty sure. But well, and it's a little bit of a trap question now that I think about it, man. And, and it's it's really it's the question that's asked all the time is you know which, which which is he better in Guild or you hear this about dual masters all the time, but I think taking a step back, it's it's a bad question because the real question is is does Hoffman fill a role in guild and does he fill a role in arcanist because he's not competing against himself across factions but you know he's competing against the other other masters within or other keywords now in in their perspective factions um so it sounds like that you you do find a place for him uh in guild yeah definitely i actually if i was to sit here and think about my guild list and what i ran Actually, I think he's got more of a space in Guild than he does in Arcanist because he brings a really durable crew that can kill. Mm-hmm. But he sits in, as an Arcanist, he will sit in the same faction with Tony Ironsides, who brings in a really durable crew that can kill. Yeah. Well, actually, he's not an auto-taking reckoning, um, which, which is interesting because I ran Hoffman, and in that last game at Scottish GT, it was a reckoning game. Doxy ran um, Ironsides. So yep. it, it, that, that just goes to show right there that actually as two Arcanist players, you could we've landed completely differently on how we want to run Reckoning. Whereas actually, mm-hmm. I think in a guild game, yeah, you've got your Ju- Lady Justice, yeah, you've got your Sonya and Padita. They're going to kill things. But actually, if you want something that's going to ball up, be durable and win that long that longevity game, Hoffman's your man. And he's bringing it with irreducible damage and built-in execute triggers and watchers and wardens and he's ignoring terrifying there's just lots to play with there yeah i I, i'm gonna stop asking the question and framing it that way because i realize it it really doesn't give a true sense of what the fact that there are dual master means um so that's that's very helpful so we've got another question this actually comes from uh, dz who uh some of you might know he's been uh the person who put up that fantastic m3e uh builder um, the website that lets you uh, build lists and uh, print out the cards. Um, so uh, DZ's got, a, I think, a, a really good question about how to handle all those big bases. Hey, first of all, I love the podcast, so keep up the good work. Now, with Deathball crews like Augmented, wanting to be in a tight group makes it really easy to get in your own way. So how do you mitigate the problem of your models blocking each other, especially early in the game or on turns where you're not exactly sure what order you're going to need to activate in? Thanks. Uh, I've I've faced this um, both with McMorning and with Molly, so I'm I'm real anxious to hear um, your advice here. Um, So do you know what? I have had this, and um, it it was an issue in the first couple of games I played with it, but the unsung hero of Hoffman's crew is definitely his his totem in, in with this problem because he has 
at a tactical action called internal magnet, which means he can choose either to put bring twings towards him, push things away, and what it does is it's a cast five and it pushes all scrap and friendly models with a power token up to three inches in a chosen direction, either away or towards him. And it just lets you start close. Hoffman can hand out the power tokens and then the mechanical attendant can disperse them so they're not in the way and it creates the channels and actually it lets you move models forward and makes it a little bit more threatening. It, yeah, the mechanical attendant, I'm really glad he's a free totem that I'm gaining because yeah. he's fantastic. Well, and I think you hinted at it, and I think it was even hinted at in the question, and that's uh, activation order um, is important. And though, though I don't think you can script your play in Malifaux, um, uh, or you, you do it to your, your own detriment, I do think turn one, you, especially when you're facing um, a potential uh, crowding issue, um, because I had to do it with Molly, where I had to really kind of learn exactly, generally speaking, where do I need everybody to be and what order do I need to activate things to make sure I'm taking advantage of any pulses and auras and then, you know, not, you know, blocking lanes against myself. Um, so I've even taken some crews and I've, you know, tried different deployment zones and done a practice turn one a few times um, just to kind of figure out that activation order. So I'm... Um, I... I would definitely say that activation order it plays a massive part. Um, I, having played many games previously with Nelly, and I had lots of forty mil models, um, it, it kind of led me towards um, making sure that actually, do you know what? Turn one, a lot of turn one, I'm going to be setting up. I'm going to be moving models into the right place, and actually, if it means I'm going to activate Howard Langston before a lot of other things, and he's just going to move up, and he's going to be in a commanding position, but not too far forward for. Uh, turn two, brilliant, because actually he's then going to activate and then in turn two, after Hoffman's already been and he's going to have fast, he's going to be already 10 inches up the yeah. table and now he's fast and he's in a threatening position. So uh, I haven't actually had much trouble with, thanks to the mechanical attendant, with positioning. So he can disperse them and actually just just think about how he's set up. Um, like, and actually don't don't be afraid to spend turn one getting into a position where you've made yourself your channels, you're in a threatening position, and then your opponent has to kind of react to this wall of death yep. that is is a peacekeeper, a Howard Langston, a Joss, and you know, and they're fast and they're primed and they're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, and, and the only caveat I'll put on to that, because I completely agree, Matt, the only caveat I'll put on there is if you're a uh, an M2E veteran. Um, it, the game is different now because um, turn one was always set up every time um, except for, you know, a weird Vic bomb every once in a while. But um, you do, you are going to interact with the enemy turn one um, in M3E. So um, you, you still have to have that nimbleness and flexibility even in turn one. Um, but if your opponent lets you use turn one as a setup turn, then you can really bring the pain on turn two. Definitely, and again, it's it's that it's third edition, it's a brand new game, and I, I think you can take you can like you said, you can take turn one as a strategy uh, as a chance to set up, be tactical, like hey, but yeah, you, there is definitely things out there that can reach out and touch you turn one, yeah, um, without without fail, and have experienced it firsthand. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I like it. I, um, and I at first. First couple games of three, I wasn't sure how I felt about that. Um, but now I love the fact that we're, you know, getting our hands a little dirty turn one, which uh, didn't didn't seem to be the case uh, 
as much in one. Okay, we've got one more que- question, Matt, um, and this is related to uh, the Soulstone Miners. Um, I'm not sure who it's from, so let's take a listen. Hey, Third Floor Wars. My name's Jamie, and I'm a big fan of the show. I just wanted to ask a question. After seeing Matt post his lists up on a weird place after the Scottish GT, I noticed that he had a Soulstone Miner in every single crew. I was just wondering if either of you knew when Arcanist players are going to be able to walk without their Soulstone Miner crutches. Thanks. So I was sworn to secrecy then not to give you the heads up, but, uh, um, uh, <laughs> but you, to, to, to your credit, Matt, you saw it coming. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I'm not quite sure what Jamie's really asking as much as he's digging, but, um, do you, do you see a day, um, where you think maybe the miners are going to get some attention or is it just a matter of the meta adjusting tool? Yeah, um, it, it definitely sounds like a question for someone who's a little bit sour about them. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can't, yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we could talk about Reza crutches all day long, but I thought that's a separate, separate podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not all of us can have by your side. Um, <laughs> Everything's actually, broken in three. <laughs> yeah, and I hear it every day. Jamie might as well get it on a T-shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> And do you know what? Yeah, I think currently, like I said earlier, um, you're taking a Soulstone Miner because it's it's that versatile build, isn't it? It, it? it gives you a level of redundancy. So actually, it's a model that currently gives me a Soulstone. So actually, if I'm, whilst I'm still getting used to it, getting used to a game where I don't know everything the other opponent does, I've got a little bit of flexibility. If, oh, if I actually I've over-embellished on my Soulstone use, it's okay because I'm going to pull one back, and actually we can mm-hmm. you can react. And it, it, to be honest, it, it, he's not wrong. It is a crutch piece to a certain extent because actually it gives you that support. And but I think a lot of factions have that. Um, what they do, and again with magical training, it, the reason it's there is there will, there will come a point where I'm comfortable with the crew where I won't need to run seven cards because actually I know what all my cards are going to be used for. I know how to keep my resources going, but actually. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't push anyone away from not using them. They're a really good versatile piece. They're a versatile keyword model for a reason. And actually they give you that flexibility to learn the game, learn how your Arcanists run and real strength that goes with it. And as much as your friends will give you so much stick about it, <laughs> you feel proud to run your Soulstone Miner. You feel proud to run that Soulstone Miner because you're learning the game and we can't all have bent factions like Rezzers. <laughs> well, and it, it, here's the thing, too, I'm kind of finding, Matt, is um, as somebody who is on the I hate uh, the miners train and I'm not saying I'm off of it, but um, it, um, it they are they're amplified depending on the pool, too. Right. So there's certain schemes that they're they're just outstanding in um, and other pools where they're not going to have as big of an influence. And I think as an opponent, we need to. When they declare Arcanists, know which schemes they excel in. And if they bring two Soulstone Miners to the table, they're telling you a lot about what they're trying to do in the game. And that's information that as you get better and more familiar with it, that you're going to be able to capitalize on. Yeah, and and that's it. I mean, if your opponent turns up and he's got, he or she, apologies, uh, has uh, two Soulstone Miners and the outflanks in the pool, you can pretty much guarantee they're going to be taken out flank. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, that's powerful information to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it's just it, it it's open knowledge. At which point they they've showed their hand too too early. If you if you want, it's the same mm-hmm. as if you set up scheme runners on the edges and just like or in the corner. It's like ah, oh, you have power ritual, do you? And things like that. It's yeah, just one of those things. And like I said, I, I genuinely think that as as we move on, some someone's going to want the six stones somewhere else in their crew. Um, definitely, like, especially in a Hoffman crew, I can think of places where I invest six stones. One hundred percent. And the meta, you, you've said it several times now, Matt. And the meta is is as a newborn, and we're all going to mature. And it uh, there's models out there that we haven't even discovered yet that we're going to think make uh, soulstone miners look underpowered. Definitely, and and there's going to be new combinations. And as soon as you run up against that that player, like uh, to be honest, it's probably a long play from Arkansas players. I think at this point, it's just uh, some secret secret clue that I didn't even, even know about. That one one day they're going to stop using soulstone miners because they're going to be so trained with the crew they're going to be using, and yep. the opponent's going to be like, "Oh, I didn't run a soulstone miner. That's a mistake." And they're going to just they're going to switch, and it's going to work. And you're going to be like, uh, "What just happened?" <laughs> yeah, no, I com- I completely agree. All right, Matt, let's take a, uh, another quick break, and we get back. I want to talk a little bit about uh, how Hoffman uh, runs um, into different pools. We'll talk strategies and schemes um, on the other side. We'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business and nobody has better quality and selection than Mats by Mars. They're waterproof and they roll and unroll easily and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. All right, so now we we know what Hoffman does. Uh, we know how we run them. Um, we know how Jamie Varney feels about the versatile models available to Arcanists. So let's talk a little bit about uh, strategies and schemes. Um, so Matt, you mentioned that uh, in the Scottish GT, uh, you know, the strategy was reckoning, and that's what made you bring him to the final table of a large grand tournament. Uh, are you finding reckoning as being you know kind of the strategy he's best at? I would say it was definitely the one I was most comfortable going to run him into. Um, I think because of the because of the crew build up um, and the you've got the armor, they're durable, and actually because of the healing that the crew can bring. Because in in his uh, pool, he also has access to the medical automaton and the mobile toolkit, which both bring healing. So they they just become such hard work for your opponent to wear down so unless they get in on them and drop them in one one go they can or they can really just get back up and just come back at you so i, I think reckoning is a really solid shout for this crew um yeah and when you have i mean my version of that and and Rezzers is mcmorning with all that healing and you know into in reckoning your opponent's going to score a point in reckoning 
right? That first point is <laughs> like they're having a really bad day if they can't score at least one point reckoning. It's denying the you know the two points and the third second point and the third point, which it, it gets really tough to drop two models in the same turn and three models in the same turn, and to do it turn after turn after turn. Yeah, um, and that's it. And I would agree. I think dropping a point for reckoning is is just the effectively the opening gambit on on everyone's reckoning game. But I think the second point is hard to find in against uh, Hoffman's crew because the armor and the healing. And I think the third point is even harder to find because like the only hench- so you're only bringing in Joss as a henchman, so that's potentially an option. And then Hoffman. But Hoffman's not easy to get to because he's protected, he's armor too, and all the things we said before. So, yeah, I think it's a crew that's not going to give away reckoning points for cheap. Uh, so definitely something I'd run them into. Um, uh, any other strategies that you would look uh, look to Hoffman for? I would definitely go with Turf War um, as, as an option, as well as Plant Explosives. Uh, I think they... Yeah, a Turf War because actually... You kind of want to act inside the the center square, effectively. That is the board. So as long as you can, you don't have to be out on the edges necessarily. So you have to push his bubble a little bit, but he can he can definitely do it. I mean, he's not in a terrible place to do turf war. The the crew's definitely got some killing potential with the the option to make some scheme runners fast. You can strike out and grab a turf marker. That's not an issue. Um, so I think turf war is going to be quite comfortable in and plant explosives for the same thing because actually. If he if he's rolling over that halfway line and all his models move over that halfway line and he's on your side of the board, he's an immovable object. And actually, because of all the power transfer, they're never going to get blocked up. So they can always go, cool, I'm going to power transfer to myself, push two inches out, drop this bomb, and then I'm going to have my turn. And I'm going to charge back in or stop you touching my bomb or anything like that. Uh, yeah, so I think... Actually, I think the only one he'd really struggle with would be Corrupted Idols because potentially trying to break out to hit the corners or the edges. But I don't know. I think he's got it in him. And there's probably yeah. more here than even I can probably read out and find. So it be interesting to see what people come up with in that scheme pool. Yeah, and I think you bring up something really interesting, Matt, about Turf War because as I get more Turf War games under my belt, I'm, start- I'm starting to see that it's a strategy that didn't play the way I thought it played. Um, so, and you know, when I first started playing turf war, it was all about, um, you know, making sure that I can get that back left and back right flipped to, to, to in my favor. So I would build them a cruise so that I could split them up, run them up the flanks and really challenge those. But what, now that I've got, I've played more of them. I'm realizing I'm having more success running, controlling the center of the board, making sure that I've got enough defense to protect my back two so that I'm going to let them score two points on turf four. I'm going to score my two points on turf four. The way I'm going to beat you, though, is I'm going to control that middle and I'm going to be killing your stuff in your in your side of the board to prevent you from scoring that third point. Um, how about you? Are you, are you finding that um, it comes down to who gets that third, maybe even fourth point in turf four that wins it? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, and actually, I think the the initial reaction to Turf War was, oh, I need to flip these markers. And actually, okay, so I need some quick scheme runners to get into that point, uh, into those points to do that. But actually, what we found quite early on is the ability to kill in Turf War is just as powerful as having a scheme runner because of the denial piece that brings. And actually, 
if you can kill a model, you knock a corner out and the opponent has to then get back there, deal with that situation. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching turf war for Hoffman. And actually, as I sit here and think about it, I'm, I'm only getting more and more hyped for it because <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so hard to remove them. So your opponent's not going to be able to really just slide in, pick one of your models off, knock one of your corners out because actually they're just so durable. So yeah. actually, if you're going to roll up, you're going to roll up and you're going to start killing his killing that person's models and flipping their quarters back. So which one they've got to backtrack on themselves a little bit and then they still have to try and push you back and kill your models to flip your corners. Uh, I just I just think it's that that iron wall that just keeps stepping forward. Just It's slow and ponderous and actually it's going to come over your table half. It's going to sit there. It's just going to cause you problems. So yeah, Reckoning, Turf War, I think definitely his games. Very cool. How about, uh, are there certain schemes that uh, just make uh, Hoffman uh, a good pick? Um, if I was to say off the top of my head, um, because you can generate scrap markers, he can do dig their graves quite comfortably. And like we said earlier, the push out and then drop a scheme marker and there's all that potential. So you can do dig their graves. But there's so much in his keyword in the sense of actually, as much as I say he can't go wide, um, if you manage to get watchers beyond the beyond the wings, they can do power ritual for you. They can do breakthrough, and that doesn't really take anything away from what Hoffman and the rest of his crew is doing. So, um, if I was to say that there's there's a trap where you think, oh, Hoffman has to spend the game and has to pick the 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 schemes that kind of keep him together or involving staying together that that's a that's a pitfall and actually i think that's mm-hmm. left over from second edition so you want to you want to sweep that mentality away look at your hoffman cards look at what they're doing because actually he's a whole new creation and what what he's got is so much potential um so i i favor kind of harness the ley lines um as an option because you can be in the middle uh, dig the graves things like that um claim but, claim jump i would imagine is doable for him Claim jump, you know, I've always struggled to play claim jump, but that's, I think that's more of a personal thing than anything else. Yeah. Um, because, because he's always so tight together, it might, um, the enemy is almost necessarily coming to you in certain places. So actually, mm-hmm. if you do run your big beaters down the middle and you're trying to use them as that distracting piece where it's like they have to come to it, probably puts you off using claim jump, but sure. you've got a soulstone miner, so power ritual, outflank as well. Again, these are all options. <laughs> so... Yeah, and, and I think I think the advice that 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 you know we've been preaching uh, about putting models on the table. I'm uh, trying to force myself to take that same advice to taking schemes I wouldn't think to take. Um, and it and trust me, there's some schemes I've taken and I didn't think they were a good pick. And by the time the game was over, I was convinced they were a bad pick. Um, but I've had like claim jump. I read and I said, you know what? I'm not. This is this is too hard, and I'm not going to bother with it. But I forced myself in two games now to take it, and um, it wasn't as hard as I thought. And it, um, you know, you you had to it adjusted how you played. But I didn't lose any AP. I didn't lose any action efficiency trying to do it. Um, so I, I just want to throw that out to the audience, which is um, don't just read the strategies in casual before you get to a tournament. And when you're playing casually, pick the schemes you don't think you would ever pick and try them out because you might be surprised. Definitely. Um, 
and that's it. And if you pick the scheme and actually find out it doesn't work for you, do you know what? You've all you've done is had a great game with your mates at a, at a games club or at home, and you've you've learned a lesson. You know what your crew can do, and you just had a good fun game. And actually, you're wiser for it. And and that's yeah. it. And like you don't always necessarily have to win. At the end of the day, have some fun playing the game. If you learned something from how to play the game, you you've had a great evening in my books. Well, and I think there's a lot of people out there that can learn from the mentality that you guys and the flipping weirds have, which is, you know, have a have a group of people that play against each other a lot, um, who in, who play for the love of the game, but with a competitive mindset. And really, what you guys are doing is you're, you're getting each other ready and making each other uh, stronger. So stone, stone, sh- or steel sharpens steel, right? Um, and I think that. Um, there's players out there that go into every casual game with a, you know, I've got to win this game. But um, using your casual games as a testing ground and your competitive games as the uh, results of that experiment, um, I think I think there's a lot of people that can follow your lead. Oh, definitely. And at the end of the day, we do have a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of banter that goes along with it as well. I mean, many of a game of I sat there afterwards and me and Jamie would be hashing it out to the point where, we're talking about it. and just uh, every now and then in a tongue-in-cheek way that James does it's just like well have you considered playing better Matt and it's just like thank <laughs> 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 uh, that's a pretty good impression too <laughs> that was good alright what we're going to do now uh, Matt we're going to take another quick break and when we get back we're going to talk about maybe some hidden second level play in Hoffman and then uh, we'll figure out how the heck do we encounter this ball of death so we'll be right back Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So Matt, it, um, one of the things that I, after, you know, doing a lot of these deep dives and, you know, getting some reps in myself is I'm finding that, um, there's, there's kind of some hidden layers with a lot of keywords, um, certain things that I discover um, uh, about a keyword, but I only do it because I've gotten my reps in. So, you know, out of the gate, Hoffman, you know, is pretty obvious um, with the armor and with the power token mechanics. And, you know, we see what his big models do. I'm just curious, um, is there is there any hidden gems that you think a Hoffman player would really start to unlock after maybe getting four or five games in? I think you're right. To a certain extent, he he's pretty straight up. He, he like he's very upfront with what he's done. He's a very honest master, I'd say, in that sense. He's not gonna. He he's got that 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 durability. Um, I think what I found was the biggest insight for me is actually the crew's got a lot more hidden movement in it than I was initially expecting. With the 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 power of the two inch push on the power transfer, the, the 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 medical automaton, which is an augmented model, being able to actually pop a model back when it takes some damage within three inches mm-hmm. of it. It's just well, actually, that's that's a little bit of cheeky replacements and movement. And actually, in that in that sense of, you almost don't mind models getting hurt because Hoffman's always going to put them back together, or the medical automatons are going to put them back together, or the mobile toolkit's going to put them back together. So actually, 
you go, cool, I'm going to let him take this hit. I'm then going to pull him out of this, which has actually wasted your AP if you've charged in because he's not doing anything more with it. I'm going to put him back together and then I, I'm moving my model around on his own turns. So actually, just look at the movement tricks that actually the crew brings. Then they're not as static as big iron robots would make you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and we, we've already you know brought it up a few times now, but two-inch pushes, three-inch pushes, two-inch placements, three-inch places, um, they mean more in three than I think they did in two because of, of how the pools work and because of engagement ranges. Um, so uh, I, I, I noticed that. You know who uh, made me see that was uh, Dashel. Uh, Dashel, all of his movement shenanigans, they, you don't realize how good Dashel's movements and pushes and a little bit here and a little bit there matters until either you play Dashel or you play against him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dashel's definitely got all that movement. I mean, with Queek, just uh, activate model gets pushed a little bit, and and yeah, there's just so much there. And actually, those, those and it's very much that. And when you when you're talking about when you're getting into those high tier tournament games, and actually you think about a two inch pitch, you're like, oh, what's that? But actually, that's the nitty and gritty of it. That's that's the yep. difference between actually I've dodged out got the opportunity to place a scheme marker which is the one point I needed to win this game and that's it and you, you, when you're talking about two players running on the peak of what they do and they both know the master in and out they know your master in and out and you're talking about those those little plays that make a really exciting game I've got goosebumps literally talking about it um, <laughs> um, it's it's those little plays that really make that high end game just so much good fun and just really intense. The kind of games where afterwards you just want to grab your opponent's hand and go, do you know what, mate? That was absolutely amazing. I don't yep. even care what the result was. That was just phenomenal. Back and forth, all the way down to the last activation on gameplay. And that's just fantastic. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because um, I was just thinking about this without flanking with Soulstone Miners. Um, just recently, I lost a game to Rasputina, and um, I thought it was super clever going into it, Matt. I was playing McMorning, and, you know, I kind of knew what, what Raspy could do. So I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to hire two flesh constructs and I'm going to take out flank and I'm just going to run them to the corners and uh, I'm just going to score my, my easily score this twice because, you know, they, they're resilient and they're a pain in the butt and they can actually, if he wants to send something small after him, you know, they can kill him. Well, my opponent just took a uh, Blessed of December and took it to one flank, and because of one of those two-inch pushes off of his attacks, denied me all of my outflank points because he kept pushing off the uh, pushing me out of the bubble um, by just hitting me and pushing me. And it's a good example of of how important those small little triggers and pushes can be off of attacks. Um, but it's it's also something to think about, you know, with soulstone miners because if they're going to bring two soulstone miners and they're going to put them in the corners to go out flank you don't have to get rid of both of them you don't have to move both of them you only have to move one and thinking about some tech that would allow you to do that and these types of push triggers that we're talking about are things to look at and consider yeah definitely and it, i think the trap that people fall into with when looking at trying to deny schemes in that way it, it's a case of they go i need to kill that model to deny it, it was like, no yeah. you just have to necessarily stop it being in the place it needs to be Find a way to stop it being a pain in in the point where it wants to be. 
drop some impassable terrain around the uh, three-inch point on the bubble with zip or something, and mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden you've blocked off a quarter, um, and they 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 will have to spend the AP to break through the pianos to get there or something like that. Like there, there's so much in that tactical denial play, and it's it's the other side of the coin, isn't it? It's one point to score. It's one thing to score your points, but you get really good at the game when you're scoring your points and denying your opponent. Yeah, yeah. When you're making a two-point swing, I agree. So, um, you know, here's where we're going to start um, kind of figuring out how to how to counter Hoffman or, or really a better way to phrase it is, you know, what is Hoffman afraid of? And the first one is obvious. Right. So I would assume any anti-armor technology, uh, precision um, and uh, irreducible damage, um, I would assume that's the obvious answer. But is there other things that Hoffman's crew is afraid of? Um, so. He is scared of irreducible. Um, he's scared of the ignore armor and the precise triggers, but he does actually have a trigger on his welding torch that stops his armor being ignored on a model that he uses a hit to it. So he, he's kind of counted that count already, but it is it's only on that one model he uses the right. welding torch on. So you can start. He does fear ignore armor. So if you're going to pick off, say, the models that he's going wide with, with if you've got ranged precision shots. So if he's got a watcher going wide and you want to deal with it, just one good range precision shot, you've got to put it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, yeah, that, we, we get that. Um, having experienced a lot of reses, thanks to my, uh, my local <laughs> player, and uh, he plays a few reses, it's all he can play, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they, they have um, the ability to turn, the models can't be healed. And actually, I think yeah. that that's a real scary thing for Hoffman, is if you can't heal the models... Um, or even if he can't heal a model for that turn, he, he has to think about, right, how am I going to keep this model alive until at least the point where I can jump on him next turn, give him his nine points back, and actually he's back in the game. So um, that, make, that makes, I think that would make a Hoffman player think, actually, oh, I can't heal this model, I can't heal this model, I've got to be a little bit more sensible about how I'm doing it. The other thing I would say is that constructs themselves aren't very high willpower. So anything that attacks willpower could be good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's Dreamer out there as well, who uh, I think a fair chunk of his crew have the ability to target willpower and having Nor armor. I think Serena Bowman has that, things like that. So that that's doubly scary. <laughs> yeah, and I think, um, you know, the only other thing I'll throw in there, and, and I experienced this with Hoffman and Guild, and I would imagine it, it's still true here, if not correct me, is that, you know, you, your first, first time you go up against Hoffman, you, you get focused on, you know, I need to... I need to remove this peacekeeper. I need to get Joss off the table. And, and that, if unless you've brought the right tools for the job, that, that's going to be a tough thing to do. But you've already alluded to it, Matt, which is, you know, take a look at what that Hoffman player, look at the pool and figure out how's that Hoffman player going to try to score and how can I deny it? And uh, you made the point already. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to kill Howard um, or kill Joss to deny those points. Um, and I think you can get uh, real clever, which really, you know, tends to be a how do you counter anybody argument, but um, you know, taking removing these augmented models um, sounds like it's it takes a yeoman's effort. Um, so um, I, I wonder is uh, things you know things that do a lot of those pushes that we're talking about um, those potentially I think could um, have an impact on your game too, don't you think? Yeah, definitely, and uh, I think I think that's it. I think the the Hoffman the Hoffman players it, it's. You've got this iron fist that's in front of you, and he's going to be waving it in front of your face, shaking it up and down, and trying to get your attention. It's like, look, you have to deal with this over here. Look at this over here, and try it. It will case of draw you away from 
looking at what the wider crew is doing. Where, where are they placing scheme markers? Where are they going? What are they engaging with? Um, so yeah, I think I think a true counter to that is don't get don't get locked and fixated on the fact that Howard and Langston are going to Howard and Langston and Joss are going to be coming in and they're going to be unleashing the pain. Um, they they will do that. They will kill models, but they will kill models no matter whether or not the schemes are being scored on the sides or not being scored yep. at all. <laughs> like, but actually, the difference between them killing models and winning the game, and them killing models and not winning the game, is the the support around them is not doing their job. Everything has a role. Uh, that's that is excellent advice, my friend. Excellent advice. Well, Matt, it was a real pleasure, um, and I hope this isn't the last time that I get you on. Um, when you. Uh, we, we have not done any guild deep dives, so I might have to uh, lean on you to help out with that uh, in the future. Um, is there any uh, anything you want to plug? Um, is there a day where the Flippin' Weirds podcast comes back to life? Um, I, I, do you know what? I really hope there is a day that the Flippin' Weirds podcast comes back and we're all all organized enough to do it. And do you know what? We, we all, all at every, every point in time, want to go, do you know what? Let's do a podcast. But unfortunately, we just haven't synchronized with that yet, but it will. Yeah. I'm going to keep nagging them and, you know, uh, and we're going to put it on this podcast. Like, Jamie, we need to record the podcast, mate. And I'm telling you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it was it was one of my favorites. Um, so uh, as a fanboy, I would love to see it come back. Um, uh, but is there anything else that you'd like to plug, Matt? Um, yeah, I think we've got some uh, really great events coming up here in the UK in, in going forward in the future. We've got UK Nationals, which is a massive event, like absolutely huge. Draws people from all over the all over the world, really. And you know what? It's just great fun. Uh, Dave Brown is by far, in my books, best henchman I've ever known. And I apologise if I don't know you as henchman out there, but the guy, the guy's an absolute hobby hero for what he does yeah. to the UK community. Like he enables so much to happen for Malifaux. And I'm not, and I'm, I do not, hands down, would say the UK scene would not be the same without him. So amazing event. I'll be honest, I don't remember the dates off the top of my head, but it is all up on the forums. Uh, we've also got the English GT coming up. That's in September. So that's still looking for some people. And that's in uh, at Dark Spheres venue, maybe. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't done this from this bit? Yeah, I'll, have every, I'll, I'll put everything in the notes for uh, for everybody, Matt, so you don't have to remember it off the top of your head. And um, I've committed to Jamie to really make an effort to try to come out to Nationals next year. Um because uh, I would love to get my ass handed to me by all of you guys. <laughs> um, and I've always dreamt of playing in that event because it, in my opinion, is one of the uh, pinnacles of Malifaux in the world. Um, is that is just a hell of an event. It is. It, it's so it's so good. And like, I haven't missed it since I, um, since we started playing Malifaux. We've, we've never missed the Nationals. It's just such a great time to come together. There's so many people. And we have a great time in the evening. We go out, we have a few drinks, go out for a meal. It's just great fun. Um, so, yeah, it was really worth it. Um, and I think the only thing, other thing I'd say is thank you to uh, Common Ground Games, who ran Scottish GT. That was phenomenal. And uh, well done to Lewis and Kai for everyone who put it on. So thank you very much. And I enjoyed winning it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was That was an impressive, uh, impressive showing, Matt. Well, all right, my friend. Uh, thanks again. Um, be kind to your reservoir opponents. Um, we are a fragile bunch, um, but uh, I am going to talk you into coming out again, uh, but I appreciate you making the time, man. Uh, happy to be here, and I can't wait to do some guild stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Cheers, brother. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. 
While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.